We demystify what goes on behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast, with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Welcome back to episode 104 of The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors, with the wonderful Mr. Bob Cook and myself, Jackie Jones. And what we're going to be talking about in today's, I think we've touched on this, you know, as we've been going along, but dealing with your own emotions in therapy. Well, thanks for the introduction to start off with. That's all right. Absolutely. Um, Yes, we've never had a podcast on the subject. We've just talked about the importance of being aware of your own feelings in the psychotherapy process. But I thought it deserved a whole podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Because the biggest danger of not being aware uh, of your own feelings uh, can be um, over-identification and merging with your client. Yeah. So in fact, in the end, you're doing your own ther- you're doing your own therapy probably, and the client is paying for it. Yeah, which isn't fair. And you know, there is there, no, but there is something about you said then about being aware of your own feelings. Yeah. But there's also something about self-care if you're going through something personally, should you be seeing clients at that time? When do we take a break from it? Well, that's a, I mean, that's a very good question, isn't it? I mean, unfortunately, Jackie, I think, I think I've come to this conclusion over 35, 40 years of mixing with psychotherapists, counsellors and training them. Is, is and many many psychotherapists are workaholics yeah and they're workaholics for lots of reasons i think it may be you know they're workaholics for economic reasons yeah they could be workaholics workaholics because it's in their personality traits um they could be workaholics because they haven't done their own therapy but Many, many therapists and counsellors tend to be workaholics, which isn't, you know, I think a particularly healthy thing. I mean, you might want to put me in that bracket. I think I've changed a lot on that, but I understand the concept of workaholics. I mean, what you're talking about is a really important question. Uh, It really is. There's many, actually, there's many aspects to your question. But let's start with one of them, physically. Yeah. If If you're physically ill. Yeah. I think it's important for a psychotherapist to actually take time off to get over their illness uh, for lots of reasons. One, obviously, for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. Doing the job when you're very unwell, having a flu or cold or headaches or tiredness or XXX. Um, we don't do our job very well because no. we're ill. Yeah, Absolutely. Secondly, it's not very good modelling to clients. I don't think so, anyway. No. Is that you will just carry on willy-nilly without taking care of yourself, without putting some investment into yourself. I think it's not healthy modelling. Yeah. Especially with clients who are dealing with lack of self-esteem, lack of self-assertiveness, lack of 
thinking about themselves. They need some modeling from the therapist, not a therapist that is going to ignore all that. Yeah. <clears throat> that that's on the physical side, same on the psychological side. Um, and it then can I be difficult though, can't it, Bob? You know, when we were cancelling clients, you know, they, they especially if, you know, it's a sudden illness that comes on and there isn't any warning to it or anything. It can bring up a whole heap load of stuff for the client. Absolutely. I'm the therapist, of course. But yeah. certainly both of them. Um, and you're right, I still think therapists can just carry on far too long ignoring uh, their unhealthiness. Yeah, because a lot of us that are in private practice aren't employed by somebody so we don't get sick pay if we're not working we don't get paid <laughs> and that you know financial burden can mean that sometimes we will work when we know that we're not really up to it sometimes yeah that's true self-employed most therapists yeah. are self-employed so i think self-employed people per se whatever yes, business absolutely. Are, often work when they shouldn't be working yeah it's a it's a strange one, but actually it's counterproductive mm. to actually work beyond your limits or into a situation where you're really should be off. Yeah. Um, because in the end, you won't be able to do your job very well and give the service to your client. Yeah. Definitely. I've, I've known people that, you know, that work well into pregnancy and literally have a week off after having a baby type of thing and then they're straight back at work again and it's like oh. yeah it's it's not it's not good for either one like exactly like you said the client or the therapist oh, in terms of we, yeah we're not indispensable as therapists do you know what i mean everything's no. not down to us no i agree with you i mean there's that whole aspect about awareness I think I was talking more about, though, awareness of feelings from a counter-transference position. Yeah. And how that might actually mean that we merge with our clients and don't actually, or aren't able to uh, give the services that we were contracted to do because we're actually merged. In other words, um, if there's some identification you know, say, for example, you know, that you've suffered from severe trauma and loss in your own history. Yeah. And there's a lot of identification with the client. You may actually keep away from the areas that you need to go to. Yeah. It hits yourself and you don't want to feel those feelings. So you do something else instead. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Awareness is the first thing. And then how do we manage those? Now, the best way to manage them is to, well, if you're aware of them, uh, is to go to get some therapy, get some counselling. Yeah. Uh, secondly, talk to your supervisor. Thirdly, talk to do networking, talk to your, your colleagues, any of those things. But we need to get to a place where we can start managing our own feelings away from the therapy room. Would you do that while you're still seeing that client or would you refer the client on if you became aware that this is actually, you know, 
impacting on us on a different level, whether that's over identification or triggering for the therapist or something. If you can't move away from the transference, if you're not able to do the therapy or the supervision to enable yourself to be an adult, then you need to refer off. Okay. Because you can't um, you can't complete the contract. No. You're going to be in a place where you're over identifying with the client. Yeah. And I think one of the things with this is we don't always know what the client is bringing. Do you know what I mean? They might come with one thing and then six months down the line, something else come up for them that you do over identify with. So at that point, it's quite difficult to refer on for some people because they've got a relationship because they've been coming for six months. I understand that. And I, and hopefully by going to the therapy yourself, yeah. or working with colleagues and talking about it, you can, get to a place where you can move away from merging with the client. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a difficult one, but I think it's the duty of the therapist as soon as they're aware that they're caught in a counter-transference position, they go out of their way to talk to the supervisor, to talk to your therapist, and to do things to disengage from that merging trap if you like yeah it's not an easy one especially in the situation you just talked about where you've been with the client for seven eight nine ten months or whatever it is and then they start dealing with things which you didn't really know about yeah suddenly appeared but it but reminds you of some trauma in your own history or something yeah um but the first step is being aware that it's happening <clears throat> because you know i don't know whether i could be completely wrong here but to a certain extent being able to empathize with a client and understand what they're going through is quite helpful but it's the over identifying it's like you say it's the merging hmm. that causes That's the problem yeah yeah have you been in this situation yourself jackie in your history i've, I've been in in kind of similar situations where I've been going through, like, I think just after my dad passed away, you know, one of my clients went through a similar thing. So, but I don't think I over-identified or merged with them. It was more of an empathic thing that I could understand what they were going through, if that makes sense. Well, it makes sense because what you're saying, you hadn't identified to the intensity where therapy couldn't happen. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like I went through a personal trauma. It was something that I, I was, I suppose I was quite pragmatic <clears throat> about it, that, you know, death happens and I've dealt with it with other family members and things like that. So it, it wasn't, I did take a couple of weeks off, but it wasn't that I needed to, you know, stop seeing that particular client because they were going through something similar that I had been through. Yeah. And, you know, most um, times, when a therapist reports they're stuck in supervision, it's nearly always been transferential issues. Yeah. And as a supervisor, it's nearly always about what's happening for them. That's the therapist in their own internal frame of reference. It can be 
sometimes purely a information piece that the therapist didn't know but quite often when they're stuck they um, need to explore their own internal processes and how they're managing or not managing what's happening on a feeling level for themselves yeah. so by examining the transference and supervision that often can help the therapist gaining an understanding and therefore perhaps an ability to decouple from the personal identification because if they can't manage their own feelings then therapy becomes much more harder yeah if they can't regulate themselves this is a the therapist if they can't contain themselves this is the therapist yeah then therapy becomes much harder Yeah, because being a therapist is is quite draining at the best of times. <laughs> you know, you, you go to some quite deep emotional places with clients when you're not identifying with them. So if you are identifying with them and over-identifying with them, it's, yeah, it, it's exhausting. It's, it's not good for us health-wise, apart from anything else. That's right. So we've, I think we're both in agreement with this. <clears throat> the next bit perhaps in this podcast is how does the therapist start being aware that they're in a counter-transference situation now I think if I took a whole lot of therapists here and asked them that question they might come out with a myriad of reasons but for me one of the um, ways that you might know that you're how can I explain this um, coming from a counter-transcendental position is that you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do in so the therapy room <clears throat> yeah you yeah. start keeping you might start keeping away from particular areas that usually you would go towards okay say say you know like trauma like, yeah like depression like obsessions yeah so you start being aware that you perhaps are going you're keeping away from areas you would normally go to that's one uh, another another tip really is to be aware of what's happened to you what's happening to you at a body level yeah because often when we are merging with the clients or there's a counter-transferential reaction, we feel it in our bodies first. Yeah. So our stomach might tighten up, or we might have heartburn, or we might have a headache. We start having a bodily reaction. Often, that can be a clue to something's happening in the therapy process, which you weren't aware of. Yeah. Very, very common. Headaches, often a common one. Often a, a sort of feelings in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. Often you fit. Uh, often you might feel yourself tensing up. Um, often 
you might feel yourself frightened to deliver transactions you would normally deliver. And they're often held in the body. So if we can do a body scan quite often, especially when we might start feeling any of the feelings I've just talked about, I think that may be a good clue to asking ourselves what's actually happening in this relationship here that I'm actually feeling this way. Yeah. You could even ask your body away from the therapy room, of course. Yeah. But it's certainly a, a tip or a clue to take into supervision. What about, because there have been cases with me, whether oh. it's over identification or, or I don't know, my state of mind at the time. But with some clients at certain times, not being able to leave it in the therapy room, it's kind of hung over me for a while afterwards. Is that over-identifying with the client? Could you say that in a, another way? Or, or say a little bit more so I can understand. But they've kind of shared something with me and it's resonated with me and I've not been able to shake it off. Oh, so you, so do you, Oh, yes, I know where you're heading. Yes, this is another very good tip for people listening and often very common in supervision. When the therapist let's use your language, is unable, for whatever reasons, to shake off what the client's been telling them. Yeah. And I go home, I walk home quite a bit from Chalton to Disbury nowadays, and I find myself thinking obsessively around the story that the client's brought in, or I'm aware of my bodily feelings, or I start feeling down, or whatever it is. And then I go home and... I'm quite irritable or I start daydreaming about them or worse, worse even still, I think about them when I'm sleeping, you know, I, I, I have a dream about them. Yeah. And all those things start happening. You need to go to supervision. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't want to make out like, you know, I'm normally quite flippant about clients, but I'm I'm normally quite good about leaving it in the therapy room do you know what I mean and once the client's gone then obviously I have a break in between clients and I can kind of get in the right frame of mind for the next client type of thing but with some it kind of hangs on for longer than it does with others sometimes yes. yeah yeah see I think that's why I asked you to explain a little bit more because when you say hang on yeah hover over you what do you mean by that? I yeah. mean, I started to say things like I obsessively think about clients, or I start to maybe feel them in the body, or I may daydream, or overthink, or be irritable. Or what do you mean by hang over you? Well, that that it, it impacts on me. You know, it's like we're, we're not we're not a, a channel that all this stuff goes through. You know, some of it sticks to the side sometimes, and it does impact on us personally. That's a, that's a, that's okay. Okay. I've gone a bit further with that. Well, other, other tips as well as taking supervision is things about, uh, I know my wife does talked about doing this quite a lot where she would, um, go for a walk in between clients yeah. to clear the air. Yes. Have a 
she would have a sprayer. I'm not sure what she would call it, but basically it would clear the energy in the room. Yeah. That's what you mean by hang, hang, hanging over you. So she would do things to attempt to make a break between. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a one. Now, of course, you know, some two and two sometimes makes four. And if you've got, had the same history or a very similar history to the client, then though you haven't got the same experience or you might not have, of course, we all have our own unique experiences, but there might be parts that you understand cognitively where you might be more vulnerable to the transfers. Yes. So you can sort of almost preempt it in a way. Yeah. And you can take it to supervision and you can say, you know, I had a similar type of experience to this client I've taken on. And even though I obviously understand we all have unique experiences, I am half expecting there might be some common threads. Therefore, um, I'm thinking ahead about this. Yeah. I mean, there's many things, as I just said, mindfulness, meditation, all these things we might start incorporating as a way to break that energetic, uh, intense identification. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's like, you know, I don't know, I, I, the cancer journey that I've been through, would it be acceptable for me to see somebody that was going through a cancer journey? Is that seen as unethical? Or would I be more empathic and understanding towards somebody that's going through that journey? Where do you draw the line? Uh, here we are. Personal perfection. I'm going to give you personal and professional thoughts here. Good, uh, I like start, that. <laughs> but I'm going to start off with the contract. Now, in TA, contractual theory has always been entwined in the doctrine of transaction analysis. Eric Byrne was very hot on contracts, and especially adult to adult contracts. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think I have a lot to say on it, but I, I would, I'm gonna hot off with contracts simply because I think it sets the frame. Okay. So I think if you said to your client, well, I'm going through cancer or I've had cancer or have whatever frame we're talking about and how do you, you feel about that because I think I have a lot to offer in terms of you know I, I know you've got a cancer journey so I've got a lot to offer in terms of maybe empathy information about the journey ahead or many of the things you just talk about there Jackie and the, and the client and the client says yes you know in other words there's a sense, there's a sense of transparency right yeah I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Because a lot of the things you just said there, I think for people on their own cancer journey, though you, the, the therapist who has cancer has their own unique experience, there's going to be many, many, many opportunities for the therapist, the person is, you know, I, therapist in this sense who's been on the cancer journey or has cancer can you know, give information, can empathize in ways many other people might not be able to. If we look at one of the unmet relational needs that I talked about 
several podcasts ago, uh, which was <coughs> around mutuality and the important the importance of someone who's been on the road, the same road, if you like. Yeah. That's what I mean by mutuality. Yeah. To have somebody on the same journey with them or somebody who's travelled that journey. I think that's an important relational need. Okay. So, from all that sphere, I think there's a lot to offer somebody if, if you've been on the same road. But it's about transparency and the contract and those sort of things. Yes. Beforehand. Yeah. And then the other side, people might say, this is why I talk about the contract first, Jackie, might say, oh, because you, you know, you've been in the same position as the other person, your identification might be so acute that you're not able to help the person go to where they need to go to in their own personal journey because you might go unconsciously or out of awareness somewhere else because you don't want to deal maybe the loss of yourself or the loss of your yeah. own identity or whatever it is. I mean, that is something to certainly consider. And I think if I was in that situation, contracts, transparency would be very important for me. And also a conversation with my supervisor would be very important for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, because it could be too much for the therapist as well as the client. Or, you know, so therapists can also, you know, how can I explain this? It just could be too much. Uh, if you're recovering from some process, you've had your own traumas, you might think you're able to help for lots of different reasons. But I think the process needs to be talked over with the supervisor who's got some impartial distance um, to talk about whether it's in the service of the client for you to offer this therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do agree. And I think there needs to be a certain amount of time that passes. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I can remember after my dad passed away that I was really interested in getting into bereavement counselling. But I think two years had to pass before you could do it if you'd lost somebody close to you. Do you know what I mean? They wouldn't let you automatically go to bereavement counselling if you'd had a recent death in the family or whatever. I had to agree. And I remember a therapist who lost their son. Uh, a, a very well-known therapist who lost their son, I forget his age, but he was in a, 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 a an accident. Um, and he just felt he couldn't be a therapist in any form or shape and took a year off. Yeah. When he came back, he realised that for many clients to do with loss and similar trauma we're talking about, he hadn't healed enough, so he took another six months off. Mm. And I think... There has to be distance. Yeah. Time. Yeah. You need to talk with your supervisor, maybe your therapist if you have one, about when you go back to work, types of clients you might take on, types of clients that might be too overwhelming for you. You know, and put yourself first here. Yeah. 
think cool. that's what I was thinking. You know, self care and <clears throat> things like that are really important. That you know, when you were talking about that therapist that took twelve months off and then realised he needed a bit more time off, prioritising ourselves and self care is is really important. Absolutely. So let's go back to the contract because I know you're somebody. <clears throat> well, I think you are. I've never asked you, Jackie, but what is it? Facebooks and things like that, where you're quite open with, or have been quite open with your journey. Mm, yeah. But however, if you, if you, I don't know if you've started back as a therapist yet, but yes, you have. Yeah, fully you... recently. I did take, you know, pretty much 12 months off while I was going through it away from one to one clients. It's going to take money. Yeah. There's an economic part to this. Um, I think transparency, um, kind of contracts are really important, plus all the self-care we talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, I often think there are certain things, if they happen to me, I wouldn't, I would I would find it very, 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 very hard to go what to go back to work or even want to go back to work if something happened to members of my family, for example. Mm. Now yeah. I, I'm 72, so <clears throat> economically I I don't I mean I don't have to work. I've got that luxury. But when you're 22 or 32 or 42, maybe you have to go back. Yeah. So, there should be definitely some self-care here yeah and like you said maybe about us you know i know as you, when we're training part of it is that we do need to have personal therapy but maybe it's about us being aware that when we need to go back to therapy you yeah. know not necessarily supervision but a therapist completely away from our job and all those sorts of things where we can just be authentic authentic and honest about what we're going through you're absolutely right because we're not superhuman things impact on us just like they do everybody else <laughs> they do and talk about impacting us um i was i started training to be a therapist when i was 35 and for many 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 years and i'm talking about a lot of years through through my training to be a certified transactional analyst all the way through to start training people to be certified transactional analysts um but certainly I think six, seven years. I I used to think about therapists. Um, how can I explain it? Therapists. I think it was some sort of distorted belief from the system, or maybe I was actually even taught it. But anyway, um, to not show feelings with clients. Yeah. Now, I then went to some therapy marathons with a very well well-known therapist and started to do some really deep work on myself but I watched him do a lot of work <clears throat> and he was able in this one piece of work that I, I saw where he started to you know shed his own feelings and that had such a big impact on me in terms of permission yeah and seeing the importance with some clients that they see the heart of the therapist and so now i'm somebody when we talk about feelings and therapy which is a podcast is about I, I i think that with certain clients it is important you show your feelings i'm not saying you use that as a technique 
but I, what I'm saying, I suppose, that if you deny part of yourself in the therapy process to your clients, or at least some of your clients, it could well be counterproductive. Yeah. So now I do, I would show feelings of that level of intensity with clients, and I did do. Um, and I certainly wasn't a therapist that believed that we should compartmentalize our own feelings. Because if we do that, part of ourself is in the way. I I had this very conversation with somebody this week about, you know, certain modalities of, of therapy say that you should leave yourself outside the therapy room. And I've always struggled with that. I don't know how you do that. Psychoanalysts, right, 100 odd years ago, forging analysts, young, you know, perhaps not so much young. Yeah, analysts per se believed exactly that. Yeah. And they they wanted to be as far removed from the relationship with the clients as possible because they believe <clears throat> that if you were actually in any sort of relational process with the client there would be a distortion uh, of the field and that it was important to stay away as much as you could <clears throat> okay to give interpretations but to show feelings well that would be a heresy yeah I, I well, I'm glad things are changing and that we have got permission now to show certain feelings. Yeah, but you see, I think it's a really important subject area that I'm not sure is talked enough about in training in trainings of therapists. Uh, because I still, I don't know, I haven't done the research on it, but hopefully, this podcast might help people at least think about this. Would you? allow yourself to cry with clients to be vulnerable clients is such an important topic yeah it's about if it's in the client's interests you know if we're blubbering and taking over the session and obviously that's not in the client's best interest but you know i have in fact i did it this morning with, with one client i actually said i'm feeling quite emotional when you're talking so i didn't break down crying but i let them know that what they were saying was touching me it, it did touch me and made me feel emotional and that's that's that reasoning of clinical disclosure um and i'm sure you thought about it anyway could have been pivotal to that person um in the in the therapy process to see a therapist talk about the level of impact. Yeah, I hope it was a positive thing that happened, yeah. So I think that <clears throat> it's okay for us to give ourselves permissions to express feelings. And I think the caveat is there, is that it needs to be with clinical thinking. Mm. Yeah. And also maybe even to take it to your own supervisor to talk about the process. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is something that needs to be taken somewhere, whether that's like you said at the beginning of this podcast, whether you take it to your own therapy and and go to therapy or whether it's supervisory or, you know, discussions with peers, you know, obviously not breaking confidentiality and things, but yeah, we, 
we're not islands as a psychotherapist. I think it's even more important that our profession speaks to other people. Totally agree. I agree with that, absolutely. But it took so, me a long to learn that. Yes, yeah. It, it took me even longer to allow myself to express feelings at that level that I just talked about, that level of vulnerability or how I felt quite vulnerable. But I always did tie it into the clinical process, which I think is the bit really. Yeah. Tie it in to talk about it with the client and what it means to, um, to you know, the impact of the sharing that, that level with the client and what that client feels about that. I, in other words, a relational discussion. Yes, yeah. And uh, it took me a long time to not just learn that intellectually, but actually to, to put that into practice. Yeah. I Again, I think we're all different and we're all unique. But for me, if I don't feel warmth or something from the therapist, I think I would find it quite difficult to to share my feelings if it wasn't a two-way street somewhere, if they were quite cold. I think um, I would struggle to connect with them, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Um, but I do think it's a subject that needs to be talked more about. Yeah. Trainings of psychotherapists. And I often yeah. don't think it is. No, because it, it, showing our emotions is... is kind of it it does lead to vulnerability and you know some of us don't like that feeling <laughs> another podcast i hope we do is touching therapy yes another area where for me it isn't talked about enough yeah definitely i'm writing that down because i, I think that's a really important part of some people's therapy i've been asked by a client you know if they can if if i would sit next to them and you touch them but i've never i've never inquired whether it's what they want they've asked me yeah right bob that was wonderful okie dokie so okay. what we're going to be discussing in the next one is how therapists market themselves oh one of my favourite subjects, because I've been known over the years, I don't know if this is going to be blowing my own trumpet, but anyway, people say to me a lot, a lot, Jackie, uh, about I'm somebody who, you know, advertises a lot, markets a lot, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's true. And I bet I'll talk about this, this in the next podcast. But I do know a lot about this subject. Good, because I'll pick your brains as well. So until next time, Bob, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode.